0: Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 32. Hear now God's Word, verses 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And thus far, the reading of God's Word and all God's people said, Our text opens today with a very interesting, almost odd revelation. The Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us, that certain behavior on our part grieves the Holy Spirit. When we don't love one another the way God says that we should, it makes God sad. Perhaps parents feel a similar thing when our children don't show love for one another. The desire to not grieve the Holy Spirit should be a powerful motivation for us in all these things. Christian ethics is driven by far more than what's in it for me. It's not just about making my life better or happier. We were created for the glory of God, and until we are actually glorifying Him, we will never be truly happy. The opposite of glorifying Him is grieving Him. Sanctification is first and foremost about Him and not about me. The byproduct of not grieving Him is that we do find true joy and real happiness. If you're a true believer, then of course you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. As Paul writes to the Romans, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not His. And again, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Or in Romans 6, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All of these proclaim the truth that if you are a Christian, if you are a true child of God, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. So now, everything you're being called to do, both the taking off and the putting on, are powered by the Holy Spirit, and you must stop resisting Him. In Christ. You can do everything He's called you to do if you will. And so, once again, I ask you to find yourself in this text today and to leave here determined to follow Jesus and to do what He's called you to do. Anything that is not holy grieves Him. We can grieve Him with our thoughts. With our attitudes, words, and behavior. Those are the areas I want you to examine today. Your thoughts, attitudes, words, and behavior. Since he is omniscient, he is aware of all of those. And so do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember what he is doing in you and what he has done for you. And let this motivate you to sanctification, or growth in holiness, maturity. Whatever problems you're having are related to sin, and as long as those dominate you, as long as you're a slave to those sins, it's going to produce more misery in your life, and the sooner you let go of that, and trust God, and follow Him, and do what He says in real practical ways, not in some mystical. uh, You don't need to go off to a mountaintop to do this. You can do this in your living room. You can do this where you sit. You can do this at your house, at your table, with your wife and with your husband and with your kids, with your friends. That's where you do this. And you can. So remember, we're talking about the take-off and put-on dynamic that the Apostle gives us. We're going to Put off the old man. We're going to stop behaving the way the old man behaved. He had a certain perspective on life, and he was the center of it. And we're going to put on the new man who has a new perspective on life. Christ is the center of that. There are some things that should never be a part of your life again. We're going to take off these things... And put on these other things that should be a constant presence in your life. We're going to take off bitterness. I paused a long time because bitterness is a great enemy. And it's your great enemy. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice... That's not going to be characteristic of us, and we're going to put on kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. So we're going to look at these one at a time, so that we make sure we understand what they are, and perhaps a little bit of what they're doing to us. You see, bitterness is always about relationships. We're usually not bitter towards strangers. We might be angry at a stranger. They cut us off in traffic or did something that made us mad. But we're usually not bitter about it. We get over it and move on. We're bitter in the relationships that we have, the people closest to us. And so bitterness is always directed toward someone. It's a state of the spirit. And it results in a sourness of perspective which never sees the good but can always find the wrong and the defective. A few people may may wear rose-colored glasses through life, but the bitter person wears yellow-colored glasses, and everything is jaundiced. Everything is tainted. The Bible says that we are to rejoice in and for all things, that we are to give thanks for all things, but the bitter person does the opposite. And make no mistake, no matter what, it, what has been done to the bitter person, the bitterness is a sin that belongs to the bitter person. It's not about whatever's been done to them. That's a separate issue. We all get sinned against. But the bitterness is our sin. And we need to repent of that sin. Hebrews 12, 14-15 is clear. Pursue peace With all people, here's the relational aspect, right? And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness is essential. Looking carefully, get out your magnifying glass, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. I will readily grant that the bitter person may have a very legitimate grievance against someone else. But they take that offense, and they rehearse it, and they nurse it, and they dwell on it. And if they start to forget, they get busy or tied up with something else, then they will deliberately bring it up again to themselves and to others until their bitterness begins to bubble up. This not only happens with real offenses, but also with imagined or exaggerated offenses. Bitterness doesn't want to believe anything good about anybody or anything, but it stands at the ready to be suspicious and cynical and ready to believe a bad report. It takes the glory and the beauty away from everything. It spoils, or as Hebrews says, it defiles. A bitter person cannot possibly be a happy person. Remember, bitterness is my sin. And as long as I'm bitter, I can't be happy. And so the chief person that is spoiled or defiled is the bitter person themselves. It's the container that's holding all that bitterness that's first and foremost defiled. Dr. Lloyd-Jones described describes bitter people this way. There are, of course, many people who feel that they have had a good cause for being bitter. They have been dealt certain hard blows by life, but that is no justification for bitterness or for sourness, or for becoming cynical. Even if life is described to them at its best, their very expression lets you know that they're not really disposed to allow themselves to enjoy anything. The saddest people I know in the world are these bitter people. They make themselves miserable, and for the time being, they make everybody else miserable. It is a terrible thing to be nursing a grievance, real or imaginary, Put it away from you, says Paul. Put it away from you. That is the old man. That is the pagan. That is the unregenerate world. It should never appear in the Christian. From bitterness then comes these other things. Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. Let's take a brief look at those. Wrath is the more agitated and heightened sinful expression of anger, which can, on the other hand, anger can just be an internal seething. So we have this range of expressions of anger. Clamor is literally loud quarreling, or we would say yelling, screaming at one another, raising our voices, We stop speaking to one another and instead of edifying speech, speech that builds up, we talked about that last time, we enter into destructive speech. We want to tear things down. We want to tear people up. This is the culmination of, of this bitter eruption. Uh, The culmination is evil speaking. This is the deliberate saying of things that are heart hurtful and harmful to others. This is the insertion of the knife, or the tongue as the case may be. You hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you. You insulted me, I'm going to insult you. Curse for curse. And underneath all of this bitter and corrupt speaking is a heart filled with malice. Malice wishes evil. Upon someone else. It's a form of hatred which seeks to inflict pain on someone else. It's the opposite of love which always seeks the good of others. If you could really see yourself, imagine you could be a drone, of, of, of your, have a picture of yourself in the middle of one of these episodes where you're unleashing on someone, you're having a meltdown. If you could really see yourself at that moment of unleashing, you would or you should be embarrassed and ashamed. You have done them no good, you have done yourself no good, and worst of all, you have grieved the Holy Spirit. So I want you to remember that every time you find yourself engaged in any of this kind of behavior, and most often it will be at your home, there is nothing Christian about it. There is no justification for it. This isn't righteous indignation. Regardless of what another person might have said or done to you in the moment, you are acting like an unbeliever. You have certainly forgotten that God is present. So Paul says that this kind of behavior is to be put away from us forever because it is horrible. In fact, the term evil speaking is the word for blasphemous. We not only blaspheme when we say wrong things about God, what he's saying here is we also blaspheme when we say evil things about one another since we're made in the image of God. All of this is incompatible with the new man in Christ. We might find it difficult to admit that we have this in our hearts, that we have bitterness or malice or anger or wrath. But I'm asking you to confess it right now. Confession is just agreeing with God. God knows what's in there. And you know that it's in there. It may not all be, maybe more in some than others. I'm sure there is. There may be some more today than tomorrow or some more last week. And it comes and goes. But we all deal with these things. I want you to own it. And I want you to own all of it. And I want you to repent of it today. And put it away. And throw it out. And lock the door. All of that is a denial of who you are in Christ. And it's killing you. And it's killing the others around you. And it's hurting your family. And it's hurting your future. And it's hurting the church. And it's hurting the world. And it's grieving the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's how we know the Holy Spirit's not grieved, is when He's in control, when He's in charge of us, when we're at our weakest Now, that's the negative, if you will. That's how Paul's been doing this. I want you to get rid of this junk. I want you to get rid of this stuff that's killing you and tearing you up and tearing up your relationships. This pagan stuff, this stuff that's not rooted in faith, that's not holy, that's corrupting. And I want you to put on something new, something clean, something lovely. Take off those filthy rags and put on these gorgeous garments. Glorify who you are as a child of God. And so be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Remember the best way indeed, the only way to get rid of these old vices is to replace them with new virtues. Thomas Chalmers said that we need to apply, quote, the expulsive power of a new affection. The yes, expulsive power of a new affection. I love something now so much that I can't even think about those other things anymore. The Apostle Peter writes about this in his second epistle. We read some of this this morning in our call, in our worship opening reading of the law for Second uh, Peter, Second Peter one five through eleven. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. See how this is piling up. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom, Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we must cultivate a new perspective. A new point of view. A new attitude. We have to become kind and tender hearted and forgiving. We're not that naturally. This is supernatural work. This isn't going to happen in a flash or a moment. You're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to pray about it. You're going to have to practice it. What kind of person do you want to be? Bitter, angry, grumpy, and foul. Now I don't know where you, what stage, of, you know what stage of life you're in. We're all at different places. What trajectory do you have right now? Because you see, what happens as people get older, whatever's in there starts to bubble up more and more so you either get kinder or crankier. Where are you headed? What's the trajectory of your life? Bitter, angry, grumpy, and foul, or cheerful, gracious, and kind? To be kind is the opposite of being bitter, and it literally means to be useful, to be helpful to others. Bitter and sour people are never really helpful. They withdraw. Kindness gives and is benevolent toward others. The bitter person always finds fault. The kind person is always on the lookout for something to praise. You know, when God said to rejoice in and for all things and to be thankful for all things, you think He was aware of the fact that all things apart from Him and His Word are imperfect. He knows that. He knows about your wife and your husband and your kids. He knows about your neighbors and your house and your car and your job and he knows about your church. He knows those are all imperfect. And he said, "But I want you to be look at those things and give thanks. And I want you to and to give thanks is to give praise, right?" Thank you, Lord, for my wife and my husband and my kids and my house and my job. And to rejoice, to have real joy in those difficult things, it's a perspective. And next, we consider what it is to be tender-hearted. This means that we are understanding and that we are compassionate and that we are loving. Even when, especially when the other person has sinned or let us down or even hurt us. This is the opposite of being calloused. There is no shortage of people who have concluded that life is hard and it's every man for himself. Kill or be killed. It's me and mine. But the tender-hearted person, you see, is like Christ who, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Can a sinner not feel compassion for another sinner? Have you forgotten who and what you were and where you came from? And then to replace malice, we've got to put on forgiveness. Because all the people in your life are sinners. All of them, just like you. And like you, they all need forgiveness. People have and will continue to do you wrong. Write it down. It's certain. People will do that. And you will do what? Forgive them. He doesn't say that we should pretend that they've done nothing, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness fully acknowledges the wrong that they've done and then graciously pays the price and cancels the debt. Part of true forgiveness is forgetting. It's one of the hard parts. Now, if you've already worked on kindness and you've been cultivating a tender heart, then I would suggest that forgiveness is going to be a whole lot easier for you. And what does he conclude with here? Forgive Forgiving one another, how? Even as God in Christ forgave you. That's the standard by which forgiveness is measured. Listen, listen to this excerpt from Psalm 103, 8-14. Uh, through 14. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always... Strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As, he, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our, our frame. And he remembers that we are dust. We are to forgive one another the way God forgave us. There is no partial or on again, off again forgiveness with God. Don't you want to be like God? Paul has already told us in Ephesians 2, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we... We're dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace ill will deserve favor. You have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You get the theme? Mercy, kindness, grace, tenderheartedness, He loves us. Us. As wretched as we are, He loves us. And so let me ask you this question. Do you know that your sins are forgiven? There's a way for you to know the answer to that question. Are you forgiving others? Are you ready to forgive others who have harmed you and sinned against you? As you hear this sermon today, are you hardened or softened? The Bible really pushes us, doesn't it? It's hard. We want to do a little. But it requires so much more. Jesus makes this argument in his parable found in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? By the way, I I don't think I'm alone in saying these are passages that my flesh, I just don't like. Jesus really pushes hard here. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that the payment be made, but the servant... Therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt, canceled the debt. You don't have to pay me back. I'll pay it. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion? on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And then here are these awful words. So my Heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you, to make it even harder, from his heart does not forgive his brother. His trespasses. By the way, forgiveness isn't okay, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to fellowship with you. I'll sit across the room from you and I'll let you know for the next two months or two years or the rest of your life what you've done to me to hurt me. That's not forgiveness. We're about to come to this table. We've been invited to come sit down and have a meal with our Savior, with our Heavenly Father, because He forgave us all the way. Communion is fully restored. So you see, God doesn't forgive us because we first forgave. The person who realizes this realizes what forg- that forgiveness it, what the, a person who realizes what forgiveness is freely forgives others and so if you have felt kindness mercy and compassion from God, if you have had your debts cancelled then how could you refuse that to someone else even as God, In Christ forgave you. And so I'm asking all of us to deal with our hearts today before God. To be humbled and broken. I think we're afraid sometimes to forgive. We somehow think that this is going to hurt us. Maybe that other person will sin against us again if we forgive them. We want them to pay. Remember the standard you use will be used with you. So just go ahead and pray a prayer like this. Lord, I want you to treat me and my sins the way I'm treating the others in my life in regard to their sins. Please, Lord, use that toward me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for instructing us how to live our new life in Christ and for giving us genuine hope in redeeming not only our relationship to you, but also to one another. We have too often given up when we have yet to trust and obey obey you. In our bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice, and evil speaking, we forget what you have done for us and fail to give to others what you have given given to us. Lord, forgive our lack of faith and encourage us today to put off these things and to put on kindness and tenderheartedness and to forgive one another, even as you in Christ forgave us. Lord, there are husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, parents and children and siblings who need to take your words to heart today. May they find the true joy that comes only in faith and obedience. And as the Apostle John wrote, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, Jesus says, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. From Dr. Lloyd Jones' commentary on Ephesians 4, he writes, We are forgiven in spite of ourselves, not because of any merit or goodness in us. God does it entirely of His own free grace. It is all of God. It is all of His grace. It is a pure gift. We were enemies without strength, ungodly, and vile sinners. But God forgave us freely. And you and I must do that to others who are vile and ungodly, and enemies, and hateful. That is how God has forgiven you. He bore the suffering Himself in His own Son. If He has done that for us, can we possibly refuse forgiveness to another? It is inconceivable. Amen. O Lord our God, come and make Your power known. That by your protection we may be rescued from the dangers that beset us through our sins. And Lord Jesus Christ, be a redeemer to, to deliver us. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to prepare the paths for your only begotten Son. That we may worthily serve him with grateful hearts. By the grace of your coming to enlighten our darkened minds. Assist us by your might, so that by your grace and merc- merciful kindness, we may swiftly receive the salvation that our sins impede. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, increase our strength of will for doing good, that Christ may find an eager welcome at His coming, and call us to His side in the Kingdom of Heaven, where He lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Bless now our feast and our rest, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.